Thanks for listening to another episode of Fermented Faith. Today I have special guest uh, Melise Oakling, and Melise is. We're going to talk. Uh, have a conversation about the end of life. So that we we say the podcast is about the everyday things of life and how the gospel impacts them. I can't really think of a. Uh, a part of everyday life that the gospel actually impacts more than, than thinking about death, honestly. I mean, and, and that's a, a core part of, you know, so many people, so many people's stories is how they came to faith was thinking about death and where are they headed and being introduced to the saving power of Jesus through that. And so certainly relevant, but you have a particular um, interest in this because it's kind of your day in, day out. We were talking about that earlier that, you know, there's certain jobs that it's hard to imagine people doing day in and day out. And, uh, and you have a particular role in that. So why don't you start by telling people what it is you do uh, and who you do it for. Well, I work for Hospice of Southern Illinois, and I'm Community Educator Coordinator. And basically I go into facilities, uh, long-term care, assistant living, senior citizen, but in, just anywhere and everywhere just to spread information and um just information on end of life. And unfortunately, it's all going to happen to us. We have a terminal yep. a terminal disease. It's called mortality, you know. And so the death rate's 100%. And it's crazy to find out how many people have not talked about it. It's like the white sure. elephant in the room. Yeah. So um, anyway, um, I've been here about a year and a half, but it's been a total God thing of how and I got into the position. There's so many different things that I could talk about and and how I got into this position. And that's why I think it's everything is aligned, God, because it's in God's timing. Because I thought to myself, I wish I would have had this job mm. earlier in my life. Because a lot of people, the one thing they'll say to me is, I can't believe you can do this. You can work with death every day. And it's not. It's yeah, about hospice, hospice, just that word comes with a stigma. Absolutely. I mean, Negative. People, yeah, yeah. Anytime you hear the hospice has been called in, it's bad news for the family. Generally, for the family. It means that that person is near the end the of end. their life. Yeah. Absolutely. And so it absolutely it immediately equates to, oh, that's sad. And uh, and we're not saying it's not, but that's not the whole story. Absolutely. And we'll get to that a little bit. But anyways, yeah, so you, you found yourself wishing you would have known some of this and had some of this information and experience earlier because this is personal for you absolutely part of part of even getting to that position i guess i don't know not directly you didn't seek it out because of that but anyway it's personal from for you because of the loss of your dad right absolutely in august of 2019 i lost the i call him my switzerland of my 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 life and uh what does that mean you're switzerland well he was just he was just always just neutral okay aspects of (laughs) there was women in our house there was just my sister and i we even had women dogs you know like female dogs so forth so anyway like he he was just my my go-to okay and i knew no matter what i like it i mean i've heard switzerland refer to that in, in other ways but i love it i never heard it attached to a person but yes I, I probably could have gleaned some wisdom from him having a lot of girls growing up in my Absolutely. house. Absolutely, <laughs> yes. Yeah. So, um, but he, you know, he was just my everything on the aspect of, a, you know, he was a wonderful father, great um, leader. Um, we went to church all the time. Uh, he would uh, have, and that's what was so crazy is he would go into the facilities um, that was indirectly, he would go visit with, the people from his church, like that was his indirect like mission. And I didn't think about it until after I started this job. And, um, 
so that was kind of cool. But anyway, um, whenever we lost him, um, we lost him beforehand because of Alzheimer's. And that's another thing with my job. I'm able to work with people that have de- that are dealing with people that have Alzheimer's or dementia. Mm. And right now there's over 6 million people that have dementia. I'm, I'm sorry, Alzheimer's. By 2050, there's going to be 16 million. So this is something that we're all going to be, you know, yeah. touched with. Wow. So anyway, so whenever I how I got into this job, I was praying about it because actually the position wasn't even opened. And, um, I remember one of the ladies that I knew, Deborah Hogg, she is actually, um, my supervisor, but I went to her and I said, Hey, I'm looking for, you know, seeing if there's any positions. Cause I'm non-clinical. There's a yeah. lot of clinical in there. Yeah, Cause you sell dresses. Yeah, for, exactly. People, would, people might know you. People from the, Mar- the Southern Illinois area, at least, will know you as uh, Melissa's from Melissa's Boutique. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And tuxedos yeah. and yeah. spray tans. So I know. Yeah, yeah. So that's that's your that's your background, right? I, right. You did that for how many years now? Fifteen. Yeah, yeah. So mm-hmm. you, you're not. Yeah, that's not a clinical job. No. Yeah. So I remember praying about it and thinking, um, is this going to be a good fit? Like, am I need to pursue this? And as I was doing it, I was driving down Halfway Road, which that's where our office is, and because I, I, it was so close to his dad's death, and all of a sudden I saw a shooting star as I was praying about it. And I was just like, in fact, I couldn't talk about it for several days after because it was just that big of a moment. Wow. And ever since then, just everything just falls into place. But anyway, I have done a lot of research. I've learned more about Alzheimer's. I've learned more about dementia. I have uh, really dove into also when people pass and what those kind of things are happening. And also just the hospice is just, it's it's just a great fit for what I'm able to talk about God and about our church and things like that. And there's no, there's no walls. And I feel very open. Yeah, that which I is unique. Is there's a lot of organizations that put a lot of red tape around what you can and cannot say, but you know, unless somebody brings it up or whatnot. So when you told me that, I was actually a little bit surprised that they don't like give you a whole lot of parameters to stay within. Yes. So what is let's what is hospice? Not everybody knows. I think people know it's it's like that, you know, it's that sad thing, you know, or that those people that come in whenever death is is near. But kind of give us the abbreviated version of kind of what you help educate people about about hospice. We'll talk a little bit more about the practical stuff at the end, but just kind of give us a brief overview for pretend somebody knows nothing. They've never heard the word. What does hospice do? So basically I always say that we are your tour guides for end of life. Um, we walk, it's, it's a really cool thing. Um, I have a chart cause I'm a visual person, but the, the, pa- the, the patient and the family is in the middle. And then you have this round, and I'm, I'm circling like people can see me. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> and it has little bubbles. And with those bubbles within, they have like nurses. They have aides. They have a plan of care. Um, they, have, uh, they have spiritual needs. They have you know, bereavement counselors. They have, so all these people sure. are basically looking in for the patient. And we find out what their needs are, and it adjusts accordingly to whatever's going through with the patient. And um, we so it's basi- not just morphine. No, There's absolutely not. It's a holistic not. approach to correct. How do we how do we care for these patients on their way? Yeah, it just to make the quality of life. Yeah. 
the end of life is so different for each person. And some can be more difficult to enter into death. And with hospice... Do people get confused and think you all are like Dr. Kevorkian type? Absolutely. Like is, that, is that a common misconception? And that's my job to educate people. Yeah. Yeah. In fact, um, recently we've had someone that was in the program that was a long time into the healthcare, and he was like, okay, I'm ready. And when they were like, okay, oh, for what? <laughs> that's not what we do. <laughs> no. But he had that really? perception. Yes. Wow. So, um, but, and the other thing is, is that, you know, it's not necessarily, you know, the prognosis needs to be six months or less, but we've had people in our facility or in our program for four years. Really? So some people just get comfortable and they have to keep on getting reevaluated every so often. And, you know, we, we go by those, you know, Mm -hmm. rules, but it's not, I've done also people that have had last minute wishes and we've been able to give those, they wanted to go to St. Louis Aquarium and we were able to get a car and, and hotel rooms and things like that, that they were able to do. And they had a few uh, weeks after that. And you so. guys were able, you facilitated that. Correct. Yeah. I remember actually we were going to record a few weeks ago. We, yes. We, we're, we've been trying to do this for a minute. Yes. And, uh, and yeah, and you were trying to do something for, uh, for a client. I remember that. I didn't know it was a part of your a part of what hospice does. But, Absolutely. So yeah, I think it's a lot more expansive than people realize. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, part of that's because we don't really want to know what hospice does until we have to know, right? Absolutely. So. And, and that's another thing. Like I always say, talk about when you talk about death and things that you want before the crisis hits. Because yeah. then everyone's upset. Your emotions are very high. And if you just talk about it, yeah. beforehand it kind of lets things more easily because I remember my mother used to always want to talk about it and I'm like before I got this job I put my fingers in my ears and I'm like yeah. la 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 I don't want to hear it she always <laughs> sure. said she wanted a closed natural. casket yeah a closed casket and she wanted this and I told her if she didn't stop I was going down Main Street in a convertible propping her up and going down <laughs> with no makeup on and she would quit but now I'm like okay what exactly do you want and what are we going to do because I, you know, she's in good health now and we can talk about it and we actually laugh about it, yeah. you know? Okay. So we're not going to talk about hospice the whole time, but, no. th- but this helps sort of set up. So let's get into, we're going to talk about end of life and we're going to talk about, you know, what, again, how the gospel affects that. And, and it, it should be one of the areas that's the easiest to see the transformation that, that the hope that we have in Christ gives. But, but let's talk about, because you approached me about this conversation and what was that about? Like, what, can you talk a little bit, we alluded a little bit to you losing your dad and, and, you know, getting into the the job that you're in, but like, what prompted you to say like, Hey, I think this would be helpful for people if we, if we just had this conversation. Can you talk a little bit about that? Absolutely. So as I got into this position, I was doing research, like I said before, and like, it made I felt like there was a reason, for instance, of why I had to go through the things I had with my dad because he mm. had Alzheimer's, and I I wanted to go past that, and I felt like God was leading me to this, and I feel like with my job I'm able to do this, and it, it also feeds my soul. Mm. A lot of people don't have that, and I have that, and I feel so blessed. Um, but basically, I was just thinking what how does the bible read about this cuz i growing up i don't remember a lot of i don't remember a lot of sermons about death and after you know you hear about heaven about judgment and correct you need to you need to make plans for that 
Yes, right. exactly. Sure, which is good and right, but yeah, we don't often go beyond that. Beyond or, that. Yeah. So I really, I think, um, I as someone told me to read a book, so it was it was um, it was the one that I told you to read. Yep. And then you gave me a book. So like it was like I got good sources of what to read because that's another thing that's so the one you me. you told me to read was Imagine Heaven. Yes. And then I told you to read Heaven by Randy Alcorn. So your book um, is by Burke. Yes. I forget the first name, but Burke. Uh, and then Heaven by Randy Alcorn is a bit more of the uh, theological treaties, you know, taking a look at, at, the, at the Bible. But his is more personal stories and, and stuff. So anyway, you read that book. Because one of the, I mean, I remember, I pulled it up just now, like your text said my whole outlook has changed. Like that was part of you wanting to have this conversation because you said my whole outlook has changed and, and you used some words like excited. I know. And that sounds so weird. It like, does a little. Yeah. But it's, I don't want yeah. people to, oh yeah, we're <laughs> ready for death. But it's just, the thing of it is, is as Christians, we are working to this point And then it's like, it kind of, I, I feel like in my head, it just falls off. Yeah. Like, I mean, of course, we can't, and that was one one thing in the book. It was saying that there are, okay, so worldwide, every three seconds, someone dies. Every minute, 180, nearly 11,000 every hour, and 250 people a day die worldwide. And then this book is said, are they going to heaven or are they going to hell? Yeah. And I was just like, whoa. Yeah, like, sobering. It is. Yeah. And and the thing of it is, as Christians, we're supposed to help people and and try to to spread the word. And and I felt like, okay, this it was like an aha moment. Hmm. It was like I can't get to those a lot of those people, but with my life and with my job, I'm able to do those things. And we're all working to that point to go to heaven. But what's what does that mean? Yeah, yeah, which is. Which I think you're right. I think you're you're alluding to a reality that I say the church generally. There's certainly some churches that have done this better than others, but but generally speaking, I don't think we've had great teaching on heaven. You know, and I think there's a lot of people. I mean, I, it's fun to just ask, what did you? Obviously, you've done more research now, but rewind three or four years ago, or even as a kid, what did you picture? Like, describe the the reality of heaven that you were thinking it was like you become a baby on a cloud with a harp. Yes, or, or like. like- like um, golden streets and just, I don't know. It was, but one thing in the book that I read, it was talking about near-death experiences and how it was so cool because there was different people. There were non-believers, there were believers, there was Muslim, you know, there was all different walks of the earth. And one thing, they had the same thing and it was God. They saw God. Now they may not have said that, but I thought, wow. Yeah. For non-believers... They didn't, again, they didn't say it, but they were explaining it. Yeah. They were, you know. There was and, a common theme. And yes. Because a lot of these stories, I mean, they're, you know, I'm I'm a fairly skeptical guy yes. by nature. And so I hear a lot of these stories. In fact, I, I think I told you the other day that we had uh, we had Don Piper, who was an author that wrote 90 Minutes in Heaven years ago when I was on staff at uh, a church as a student pastor. We had him come and, and, and do like a three or four day I don't know. Retreat? It was kind of shaped like a revival, you know. What I mean? okay. Like each night there was a there was a, a church, you know, service, and he was he was speaking and sharing his story. And I was just super skeptical then. I mean, I, you know, when I listened to his story, like, okay, it, you know, it, it was feasible, I think, but it was just like, okay, is this guy just trying to just trying to sell books? I mean, he had a he had a, like 
you know, I think his story of, of being in the accident and being pronounced dead for, you know, 90, and then coming back 90 minutes later. I mean, I can, I, anyway. And then it seemed like after that, that almost like burst this, like, he kind of broke through. And, and then all of a sudden, there's a lot of these books, you know, there's, a, there's the mm-hmm. little boy. And, and so I'm just skeptical by nature. I'm like, okay, sure. Sure, you saw G. You know what I mean? But I think, you know, that book, I, I didn't I didn't get through all of, of Burke's book, but I, I think he takes a fairly objective approach to just, just trying to say, hey, there, there seems to be a lot of people with these near-death experiences or with these being pronounced dead. It's a common theme. Yeah, there's some themes there. Um, yeah, and it, and, it, and it just goes to a front. Now, you, I think I could sit here and argue that those people are, are perhaps just hallucinating or right. remembering or, or, you know, like in their subconscious. They're, they're tapping into a subconscious that has been informed by... Something. Yeah, a, by, by a things that we've been taught or culture or whatever. And they're just, uh, they're sort of perceiving that, you know, maybe there's some truth to that, but I think, like you said, there, there's enough of that consistent theme that I think there, there's something. And I think scripture gives us like enough of like, there's, there's a couple instances even in there where no people did, you know, get that glimpse in and see. And so I don't think it's as taboo as we need to think it is. We need to guard against false theology and against people peddling, you know, some false story for their own gain. But we also need to do that. Like, we need to look at the, the Bible and not just our own, like, what we want to hear or what we think, you know, um, is good and right. And so, yeah, I think it, it, it's something that we don't, we don't think about enough. And, um, and it's kind of crazy because it's a huge deal, like a huge <laughs> deal. Um, I, so one of the quotes from the book they're quoting, I think it's Alcorn is quoting C.S. I'm not sure which one of the books we just referenced, but C.S. Lewis said that if you read history, you'll find that the Christians who did the most for the present world were just those who thought the most of the next. So he said, aim, aim at heaven and you'll get earth thrown in, aim at earth and you'll get neither. And so he, he says the most productive, loving, uh, legacy-leaving people on earth are the people who thought the most about heaven. And, and I think that makes sense, even if, you know, I think, you know, people that even beyond a Christian perspective can see, like, part of what that does is get your focus off yourself. You yes. Know? But also, it's a it's a hope, too, of, I don't have to, I don't have to get everything out of this life. Like, I don't have to, the longing and the aching that's within me doesn't have to be satisfied here. Another one of the quotes from Alcorn says that nothing is... is more often diagnosed than our homesickness for heaven. He said, we think that what we want is sex, drugs, alcohol, a new job, a raise, a doctorate, a spouse, a large screen TV, a new car, a cabin in the woods, or a condo in Hawaii. But what we really want is the person that we're made for, Jesus, and the place that we're made for, heaven. He said, nothing less can satisfy us. And so when you, when you think about it that way, it, it, it does, it has overwhelming implications for our life today. And so it's really a disservice. And frankly, I think a win for the enemy when we don't think enough and teach enough and, um, even imagine enough about heaven. And so you got to do some digging. It's not, there's not a ton of great resources on it. I don't think, but, but I, you know, uh, and I was scared to look into certain things because I was afraid of the background and, you know, sure. where was this coming from? And, you know, am I getting some whack job? Right. Yeah. Sure. And so when you gave me, you know, I felt comfortable in it and I felt like, okay, cause there is, there's so much out there, 
But I feel like it's kind of like whenever someone you give, like if you see someone on the the outside and they are begging for food and people are like, oh, they're just, you know, this is, they're, they're, they're doing this and they get, you know, they have a Ferrari yeah. or whatever in their driveway or something. But I was in good faith to give sure. that person that money, how they spend it. It's so that's how yeah. kind of I thought about this. I thought whatever this is and however I go from here, it's in good faith and I'm, I, I want it to be in good faith. So, yeah. Well, and Jesus talks a ton about storing up treasures. I mean, the whole Bible. I mean, we, we, we just looked at Daniel 12 yesterday right. in the service and it talked about there will be a resurrection period, some to everlasting life and some to everlasting shame and contempt, you know? And so we will all be resurrected. We're all going to spend eternity somewhere. So to think about us as mere mortals is, is not exactly correct. Yes, we're immortal in the sense that we're all going to die in this in this body, and but we will be resurrected to live eternity somewhere. And we get a and, and I think Alcorn sort of both of them I think, but Alcorn directly talks about how heaven is, is sort of a uh, an in between, and you got a choice between heaven or hell, and and that's really what what do you do with Jesus? But when we have Jesus, it again it transforms our, our hope and it transforms what what we can, you know, think about and do. But but again, it, it all of and even those stories affirm that that resurrection, the fact that we it's not just curtains after this. Right. And there's a lot of diff I mean, there is a lot and there has been a lot of throughout the history of different worldviews on what happens when you die. You know what I mean? There's different religions that believe in reincarnation or um you know, or it is just over and what I, I was telling you a story, of, you know, because a lot of what we hear is the stories of people having near death or, die, you know, heart stops beating or whatever, and they're seeing light or, uh, you know, a heaven-like place or hearing from Jesus. But it was interesting. I was telling you that um, there's this author that I've uh, I've found interesting over the years. His name is Sebastian Younger. He wrote um, Wrote the Perfect Storm is probably his most famous work, but he's a, a war journalist and he's wrote some other things and um, and he'll make it clear over and over again that he's not it's a not Christian. A, yeah, not I mean, a he, he I'm not religious. I'm certainly not a Christian. I mean, he'll say that unsolicitedly. I heard him in an interview the other day, like unsolicitedly made that clear like three times. But but yeah. So anyway, I mean, I was turned on. The book Tribe talks a lot about community and how we're meant to live together. Uh, and there's a lot of gospel in that that he was mm-hmm. denying, but also saying these implications that you know we see in scripture. But anyway, he was telling a story the other day. I saw him on an interview, and he's—I re- I think he's going to write a new book or something. But he had a near-death experience. He had a—he had a aneurysm that he didn't know about, and he lives way out, like away from, you know, takes the ambulance a while to get there, and um, and it burst, and mm. he almost died. But th- it's interesting. Uh, say all that to say because the the what he experienced was like he was falling into a black pit, like this black mm-hmm. like hole. Um, he did see his dad and his dad, you know, was, was like who had passed away. Uh, so it was a similar like story with similar features, which again could be just informed by subconscious things that are, that are being taught to us. But nonetheless, his was was on the negative and he makes it so clear that he doesn't believe in God. And so, you know, I got to think that was a wake up call for the guy, but he certainly didn't, he hasn't taken it up to this point, but, but it was just interesting that it's like, okay, here's this guy who vehemently opposes this and makes it clear and what he was experiencing was headed not toward a light but rather toward this this darkness and um yeah so anyway it, it's um those stories are, are fascinating and i think you know um, I, I was trying to find my notes i i didn't 
Um, yeah, there is a couple of stories in Scripture. Uh, so um, let's see, this is from Alcorn. The Bible teaches that sometimes humans are allowed to see into heaven. When Stephen was being stoned because of his faith in Christ, this is in Acts chapter 7, he gazed into heaven. It says this, Stephen, uh, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. And scripture tells us that Stephen, not that Stephen dreamed this, but that he actually saw it. Uh, I forgot, man, I need to look it up, but there's an Old Testament uh, story as well. I, I think it I don't know if it was when Enoch or Elijah was taken up and he asked for his servant to be able to see, and this guy was able to see, like, I think it was like horses running. Anyway, so there is some scriptural, like, basis for some of those stories that that these people are writing, and maybe some of them have false motives, and maybe some of them are making them up. But nonetheless, the, you know, that it's, it's sort of like we're hearing from some Stephen-like people that got to that brink and then, you know, were brought back. And Paul talks about, you know, having some experiences that he couldn't even really he, he really wasn't able to even talk about, you know, and seeing and so there, there certainly is, um, there is, there's work for us to be done and, and, and an invitation to imagine and, and to think about what awaits us. And it can, as you said, change our whole outlook and change how we, we, we live in the here and now. So I feel like it made me shed a lot of, a lot of different myths and so mm. forth. And, the one thing that I thought was really cool was that a lot of people said, and this is why it really captured what they were saying was true, was they cannot explain heaven. Mm. That it's so, because the way we speak and we, we communicate, it's very flat. Where they, that's the thing, like they were so excited and they didn't, some, you know, they didn't want to come back because it was so, yeah. and that's that's what's so exciting. That's what helped me. Like when we lost my father, he had lost his his memory with Alzheimer's, and he's healed again, and yeah. that is like crazy. Yeah. Like he's back hunting, fishing, or whatever, and like that's what's so cool. Yeah. You know, and that's what kind of excites you know me and have people understand that it's this is not a this is not a sad thing. As humans, as our flesh, we're sad. Sure. Yes, we want to see them, but they're they're whole again. Yeah, I kn- I know my dad is whole again. Yeah, and so that's that's what's so that's why I, I love what I do. Yeah, yeah, and there's a lot of I, and I I've you know we we did a we did a series a couple years ago called Kingdom Come and and we tried to we tried to talk about you know some of this. It wasn't all about that but it was sort of okay where is this headed what is the what is the end of god's uh, the ark of salvation you know sal, uh, salvation's history and, and wh- where we're headed here and 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 it is important for us to think about because ill-informed theology has an effect uh, you know on our on our life in the here and now um, in in a lot of ways because there's a lot of christians that you know they're genuine believers and they heaven's almost like a consolation prize to them. And that's not always their fault. Sometimes it's how it's been presented. It's like, okay, this, this whole deal that you're enjoying is going to come to an end and you need to make arrangements for that. You want to be in the good place or the bad place. You know, there's a whole TV show called (laughs) the good place. Uh, and, um, and so that's sort of how it's, it's painted. And yeah, we have the streets of gold 
and, and those are going to be there, but there's, that's within a context. And, um, and I, that's what I, it always seemed like this, this, this other thing. And so I remember thinking like, okay, I remember thinking about this when people would teach about the Lord coming back and be like, ah, oh, not yet. Yes. You know what I mean? Like exactly. And I've heard mm-hmm. a lot of people say that, like, I don't I don't get excited about that. That that actually that that you know, and so that's helpful for people to even think about that. I would just say, like, hey, think about that. What does that breed in what does that um stir in you? Is it is it the sadness of, oh, I'm not finished, or is it excitement or you know, and, and for me I remember thinking that. I remember thinking, Oh, I want to get married, I wanna have kids, I wanna, you know, I want to experience these things. And um but that that's actually because of a low view of heaven. Like, as if we have a right view of heaven, we'll realize that we're not going to have those. We're not going to have regrets. Mm-hmm. Like, it, anything that is good here will not only it will either be there or it will it, it will be uh, um, culminated into something far greater than we could have ever imagined. Anything that's good here will either be a part of heaven or it will have been a foretaste of something even greater. So sometimes people hear things like, okay, there won't be marriage in heaven, which Jesus answered directly. People were asking him and he said, you know, we won't be given, you know, in that way, but that doesn't. So some people think, oh, well, that's, that's sad. Well, no, it's not that you won't know your spouse. It's not this, you know, I'm not gonna, it's not this like vague existence. No, it's actually uh, an amplified existence. Mm -hmm. So Augustine actually went through a transformation on that and Alcorn talks about this in the book. He says that near the end of his life, Augustine significantly changed his view of heaven because he used to he used to teach early on, um, and uh, Aquinas I think as well um, used to teach that basically heaven would be so God centered, which is certainly going to be God centered, but that um, sort of the horizontal relationships would be kind of a blur, Absolutely. like not like secondary. Yes. And again, that's not wrong that they'll be secondary, but just sort of like. Not not necessary or a, a primary part, but he changed and 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 uh, and toward the end of his life, he said, "We've not lost our dear loved ones, who have pre- departed from this life, but have merely sent them ahead of us. So we also shall depart, and shall come to that life where they have been, or where where they will be um, e- ever more dear, as they were, as they will be better known to us." So. I jacked that up. Where they will be more than ever dear as they will be better known to us, where we shall love them without fear of parting. I thought, man, what like what good news is that? Because you think about so much of the anxiety and, and stuff that we think about in life is like, oh my gosh, what if something happened to my kids or my spouse or, you know, a parent like and to have that not be there? To no fear of part anyway, so yes, it's going to be um, it, it, it's going to be better than. So we don't know all the details. People ask, is this going to be there? Well, it, 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 what, you, what you can bank on is you're not going to be disappointed in heaven. Like there's not, you're not going to have these regrets. Like, oh, I didn't get to go, you know, I never got to go skydiving or fish. You know, like, no, no, you're not going to think about that because what you're going to experience is so, it's like the volume will be turned up, up. On, mm-hmm. on the colors and the experiences in every way. We can't be able to, to describe them. Yeah. I mean... That's the thing. So I'm a competitive person and it's like, I need to have goals. And so like, here I am. And that's the thing that I felt like opened my eyes. I have these goals and and, and I kind of do it with reading the Bible and, and things like that. Well, this was like, okay, I've worked myself and I'm trying to get to heaven. And then it just like, that's like, I felt like it just opened up. It was mm. so crazy. I mean, I grew up in church, but it was like, 
I never thought of end of life afterwards like I do now. Yeah. I just, it's almost, it's, it's just, it's a, it was a peace mm. because I felt like, you know, you, you, you try to walk the right way and, but this is our end goal, but there's more. It's not yeah. the end. Yeah. End of life, it's not the end. It keeps on going. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. And Paul, so one of the more famous passages, I've, I think I've used this at every funeral I've ever done, either at the graveside or in the service, but First Thessalonians chapter four, and Paul says almost that the sentiment you're, you're talking about, he says, hey, we don't want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, which is Bible speak for dead, uh, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. And this is important because, you know, we're assuming some things in this conversation. We're assuming yes. hope in Jesus. We're assuming the gospel. Right. Uh, because outside of outside of that, this is a this is a you know death is something to be feared, you know absolutely. Uh, and so we want to we want to make sure that's clear. What we're talking about is the hope that we have in Jesus yes. transforms life, and that's what Paul says. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so that through Jesus God will bring with Him those who have fallen asleep. So that's what Augustine was talking about. Like we've lost them in this sense, but they're asleep. And when he comes back, he's going to bring them with him in a, in a sense. And he goes on to say, for this, we declare to you by a word from the Lord that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. So he's saying Jesus is coming back at some point. Some of us are still going to be alive on that day, but we don't get to beat those who have already fallen asleep for the Lord himself will descend with a cry. Uh, and with the voice of an archangel and the trumpet will sound and the dead in Christ will rise first. So there's this, this picture of Jesus breaking through the clouds. Some of us may still be here. Somebody's still going to be here. Maybe you and I, maybe not. Uh, but regardless, we're going to see him, but then the dead in Christ will rise first. We'll see that resurrection. And those who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet them in the air so that we'll always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Paul knew we would need these words. He knew death is a big deal. He knew mm-hmm. we're going to grieve. And it's right to grieve. Jesus entered into that pain and grieved whenever mm-hmm. Lazarus passed away. Even though he knew he was about to call that dude back out of the grave, <laughs> he still wept with, right. with his sisters and his, with his family. But what Paul says is we don't, we don't grieve like others do who have no hope. Because we have this incredible hope. And so, yeah, I mean, we could get into talking a little bit about, you know, um, the intermediate state. I mean, that that's sort of a deeper theological, uh, you know, discussion of, you know, where your dad is right now mm-hmm. versus where, you know, and, and the, the physical, like he, he hasn't yet received his, his uh, resurrected body, but that doesn't mean it's in this totally, it's, it's hard for us to know exactly mm-hmm you know, what that means. And there's, there's some, there's some fun theology in there that, that I hadn't been exposed to until, you know, a little bit later in my ministry that, that is also super helpful. And I'm glad to talk about, but probably not the point of of today, but nonetheless, the, the, what this points to is that our resurrection will be, um, like Jesus's, he was the first fruit and we're going to come along, like, we're going to follow in that. And Jesus had a, his resurrected body was a physical body. Yeah. He walked through walls, which is awesome, mm-hmm. but he also ate fish, right? right? And his disciples touched him. And um, and so that's the sort of thing that, that we need to keep in mind. And I think the other thing that we did talk about in that Kingdom Come series that is a misunderstanding is heaven is not just, it's not this out there thing. Like our final, like where we will abide, the new heaven, the new earth is not, like this earth doesn't get thrown away, it gets recreated. Mm-hmm. 
And so, you know, so all of this points to, you know, the revelation, the way this all ends is with a new heaven and new earth coming down. And and, um, John writes in Revelation 21, that I saw a new heaven and new earth, the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, the sea was no more. Um, and so that, that language is, is more of a, uh, it's been, it's been remade. It's not a wadding up and throwing away and starting over, but rather this, this fire that Peter talks about is kind of that refiner's fire that getting array of all, getting rid of all the impurities, all the evil and remaking. Like a forest fire. Yep. Yep. And yeah. so, the, and remade into Get Eden-like conditions, um, even more so though. And then I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem coming down out of heaven. So yes, right now. You're, the, the the Bible does give us this language of your dad is is up there in in some regard with Jesus right that that intermediate place even what what Jesus talks about in, in John I think it's fourteen when he says don't you know don't be afraid where I'm going um, you know you can come also I am the way the truth and life and where I go I, I go to prepare a place for you if I go to prepare a place I'll come back and receive you those when my pastors growing up my pastor growing up he said that like every week I think. Um, but and that's where we get the mansion over the hilltop and stuff. But that that word for mansion that is translated mansion in like King James and some of the other versions is actually closer translated dwelling place. And it's kind of this intermediate, uh, this stop along the way, somewhere you would kind of not plan on living forever. But like if you're on a journey where you might stop and rest before you got to your final, you know, destination. And so yeah, your dad's there with Jesus in some regard. Mm-hmm. And then someday, Jesus is bringing that whole party down here. Right. This thing gets remade, and then it says, um, "So the holy city is coming down out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband." And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, "Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man." Mm-hmm. So oftentimes we think about going to be with God, and right now, if we die today before Jesus comes back, we we do that. But we need to keep in mind that one day God's going to bring all of them, them back. Mm-hmm. They'll meet the resurrected body, and then we're going to be here physically, tangibly. And, and it's hard to even overstate the, the amazingness of that. He says, he will dwell with them. God's dwell, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them. They will be his people. God himself will be with them as their God. He'll wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. There'll be no more mourning, no crying, no pain. The former things have passed away. Um. And he was seated on the throne and says, Behold, I am making all things new. Like that's that's the that's the hope. Like this it's incredible. So for us to not talk about that enough because revelation's confusing, it is confusing. It's very confusing. But that's really clear, actually. Absolutely. And that's awesome. So some of how we get there and what's gonna happen, some of it's confusing because of what you said. What John was seeing, he even says, like, there's not words. Like I don't I'm you know, these guys you are can. struggling with we just walk through Daniel. It has apocalyptic literature like what is being communicated in that spiritual realm and in that truth is so far beyond what our language has the ability to. That's why there's things like beast and these imagery that. Yes, the horns and. Yeah, the, it's. We think that is negative, but the way, you know, yeah. So yeah. the perception, and I think also because we don't know, we cannot touch it, we cannot right. feel it. And when that happens, people get scared and you kind of back away. Well, yep. I don't know, so I'm just going to kind of not talk about that. Yep. And that's what's so crazy, is that it's going to happen. So do you want to go to heaven? you want to go to hell? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But you know yeah. what was so crazy is when we, start, when we met for the first time to talk about all this, and you said to me, 
what about the people that are non-believers? And I was just like, that was actually, <laughs> that was the first time I was like, oh, yeah. But I was so, like, excited about learning this that I didn't think about, you know, yeah. so about the people that did not believe. Yeah. So, you know, that's why being Christians, we just got to keep on talking and yeah. about, you know, what it's all about. Well, and, you know, Peter tells us to be ready to give an explanation for that hope. I mean, you're a, you're a bright person. You're a smiling person. Like, you know what I mean? So you get to go and, and be around these people and hope is evident in you. Well, Peter says, be ready to tell them why. That's all we can do. So Jesus will save them if he, you know, chooses to. But, like, we just get to tell them. And so, but it is important because, I mean, a lot of times because we don't talk about this and because it's hard, I mean, we get to funerals and you hear people talking about it, they're in a better place. And, mm-hmm. and, and sometimes we're going, uh, I don't know, I you know, know because and you don't want to judge, but right. you're like, Ooh. yeah, yeah, yeah. My preacher used to say, we're not supposed, you know, we're supposed to be fruit inspectors though. And if there was no fruit, like, uh, you're like, I don't know, man, I, I based off that person's life, I don't know if they're in a better place, you know, and, and, and you understand why people are saying that. Absolutely. And you, don't, you don't, you know, that's not really the time to drop. I mean, yeah, but <laughs> I, I think I remember a story of somebody um, bringing a friend to an Easter service uh, years ago, early, it was one of the struggling days of our church and the current, the pastor at the time, which is not here locally. And nobody, anyway, he, uh, basically started out Easter saying that, like, I know people have told you grandma's in a better place, but she might not be. It was like his, <laughs> it was like his whole, like, emphasis for his text. It's like, well, not wrong, but maybe the maybe a, a, a strange approach for Easter. Like, uh, anyway, but yeah, there, there is that tension of we have this hope. We get to share the hope. What they do with it is ultimately, you know, up to them. But yeah, so that is that is a hard part. I mean, I get I run into similar things at, at funerals. You know, I've uh, on few occasions I've I've done funerals for people who all evidence would say they weren't believers. You know, um, and that's that's hard. I, and I don't say that they're in a better. I don't preach them into heaven and pretend. But I can still talk about the hope of the gospel, and I can talk about how this this these moments of death sober all of us. And funerals are for the living anyway, right? Absolutely. Yep. And so in those moments, I can talk about. You know, regardless, like, we don't have to really address that. Now, if they're Christians, you can, and there's beauty in that. We can talk about reunion, we talk about, but if not, we still talk about the hope that these sobering moments force us to think about our mortality, force us to think about that we're going to be here one day, and and there is hope that that doesn't have to be the end uh, or a dark and heavy, like, that can be the beginning of your eternal life with, with Jesus. And so, uh it's it's huge. It it is. Paul talks about it. First Corinthians fifteen says I delivered first importance, and he goes through the gospel, but he's talking about the resurrection because there's a ton of debate about whether whether or not this is true. In the New Testament, there was different parties that that believed you know Jesus battles with the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and a lot of that was about whether there was going to be a bodily resurrection, and so that carries over into the church. And there's some people that that don't really think that they think that um, you know it's this Gnostic view that the the material part of our world our bodies that's bad and what's good is the spiritual and the spiritual will will live on with god that that resurrection is more of a figurative spiritual thing than a physical thing and paul addresses that and says no like if if there's no resurrection from the dead then not even jesus was raised from the dead jesus had a physical bodily Mm -hmm. resurrection and he says if christ hasn't been raised then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain 
for, and he goes, I like this, Paul has strong language here about the implication. If the dead are not raised, then not even Christ is raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. So there's no, like, we don't get to just say, oh, we get to be forgiven. Like, no, it, this mm-hmm. is a physical deal or it's not any deal. Um, he says, those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. And in Christ, we have hope in this life. If in Christ, we have hope in this life only, then we are all people most to be pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead and the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as a, by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. So the curse you were talking about earlier, the, the infection that we all have, mm-hmm. we're headed toward death, that came from Adam, our mm-hmm. first father, right? We all were born into sin. And, and, yeah. we, and because of that, we are the penalty of that, the wages of sin is death. So we all got that from Adam, but we can all receive life from Jesus. Jesus is the second Adam, and he brings life. So this, that is the impetus of the gospel is that we have life beyond this mess. And if you can't get excited about that, ooh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You need to get checked. <laughs> yeah. So it's I do exciting. think it's it. Yeah. So I would encourage anybody listening to, you know, check out, you know, these books and, and or, you know, read those scriptures. I just I, I listed off Revelation 21, 1 Corinthians 15, 1 Thessalonians 4. Get the book by Randy Alcorn, Heaven. Um He's got some subsequent resources as well, but um, I mean, this is this is this can be similar to you. Your whole outlook's changed, like, and it it does. It it, it transforms the way we live, and and you know, Paul spent his life as a missionary, and he did all that, knowing, excuse me, that he you know he said that I don't consider the current sufferings to be anything compared to the glory that awaits me, mm-hmm. like, and so it it allows us to loosen our grip on the things here presently because we know that they'll be returned a hundredfold, you know, um, in reward on the other side. So, uh, yeah, so that, that's some good, we've, we're just teasing the theology Absolutely. there. There's, there's plenty more obviously so to, to be, more. to be studied, but, um, I think, it, I think hopefully that's been helpful just to encourage people to, if there's one thing, take away I, the stigma, at exactly, least exactly take away the, the negative yeah. part of this because, you know, um, I just know with my job, there's so much of good. And these are things, you know, these are the last few days of someone's life, and we want to make it the best. We want to make the memories. We want to make, you know, all that for here. Yeah. But just, I don't know. It's just, again, I want to have a shirt that someone says, Oh, I feel sorry for you because you work with hospice. No, I'm excited. Mm. I'm on fire with it, and I cannot imagine any other thing right now that I'm can you know be able to do so much and um, educate people. But you know, one thing that I would ask is you know um, talk about this with your loved ones. Yeah. If if anything, you know, get get this all out and. Um, yeah, these spiritual truths that we're talking about can have really practical implications because it's not something we have to dread. In fact, it's something we can, we can look forward to. Paul says it's gain. You know, Paul's like, I'm torn whether I get whether I want to do some more ministry or whether I want to go ahead and die and be with Jesus. For me, I'd rather die and be with Jesus because that's Absolutely, to live yeah. as Christ to die is gain. But for the sake of the world, I want to do as much ministry as possible. So we can even look forward to it. So there's some practical implications. We take away that stigma. Now, okay, now I have some practical conversations that can make 
you know, those tough things a little easier. So yeah, that's sort of your world. What's your, what are your must, like, what are your practical takeaways? What should we be talking about? What are those bare minimum, like, conversations we should be having that will help, um, you know, take away some of the stress and decisions at that, at that moment whenever we're trying to grieve and process and... Well, I, you know, we, we plan for graduations, for weddings, for births, retirements, everything in between. Sure. But how many people – well, let me just tell you. I was at a, a funeral director conference, and I spoke with 50 funeral directors. And I asked them – Sounds like a fun crowd, by I know. the way. I don't, <laughs> Actually, I don't. they were really – they really were fun. Really? Okay. They have a very different sense of humor. I can imagine. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah. and so you have to kind of – Learn that. Learn yeah. it. But it's something, you know, they're, they're very compassionate people. But yeah. I asked him, I said, show me how many of you guys have planned funerals. Out of the 50, five. That's amazing. And I said. I'm kind of humorous. But. I know, I know. And I said, I'm not judging you all because my dad was a photographer and I didn't get senior pictures <laughs> made. So I'm not, I'm not saying that. Sure. But even that world where they're in and out yeah. and they, they help people and walk through, it, they don't even do it. So why yeah. would. Why would you even if someone hasn't brought it to your attention? Um, but just just talk about you know before before you get to a point of crisis mode, talk to your family about what you want. Because I know losing my father, there were things that were questioned because, like for instance, cremation. Yeah. You know, like um, he didn't care, and you know my mom and him had a conversation, and it was. It was very tradition, traditional for, you know, to have the casket and whatever. But um, mom decided, you know, they decided that he'd get cremated. Well, there was a lot of – and now looking back, if I hadn't known that that's what he wanted, right, I would have been more anxiety-ridden. Sure. And instead of enjoying – because his funeral was one of the best funerals I have ever gone to. And, again, that sounds weird. But oh. there were four people that spoke, and it was four different facets of my dad's life. Yeah. And it was about celebration because he is now whole. And so that I, – again, I know it sounds so weird. And unless you – because I, I, if I would hear myself a year ago saying this, I'd be like, you're crazy. Yeah. What are you – what? Plenty of people still say that about you. Yeah, I know that. No, <laughs> Especially my husband, but anyway. <laughs> um, but, I mean, that's the thing. So my perspective, the shedding of the negative things about death is I, – I, and I, I'm yeah. excited. When God is ready for me, I'm excited to die. Never thought I would say that. But I feel like I know it's I have to work. Yeah. yeah. And, and so it's kind of like with, with, you know, coming to this church, at the journey, just – the one thing that I, I just I love is that we are flawed and imperfect, and we are here because we don't have it together. And that was so refreshing to me. And that's the thing. This is refreshing because it's like, you know, I know that I'm not perfect. I know I every day sins, and I know I, you know, but I'm working towards that, and I, I'm walking. I'm trying to do, I'm trying to tell people about it and so forth. And that's what's cool about it. Awesome. So we should just talk about yes, what we should do or, or, or what we what we would like at our funeral. Yeah. I mean, even down to like songs and stuff. I Absolutely. Mean, it, as a pastor, it's it, you know some people have it all picked out. You know. Do you? Uh, no. What about your? Oh, and that's another thing. Poa. Um, sure. All that. 
a will, things like that. Like you need to have estate planning, even if you don't have much, but just cut out because there's so much, I see so much crisis and when people in crisis mode and people, attorneys calling and it doesn't conflict too. Absolutely. This can bring out some of the worst. The worst. There's a lot of families that don't speak to each other today because of some conflict after a death. Absolutely. And you can, you can avoid some of that. Exactly. Maybe not all of it, but you can help them if you're clear about what you want. What you want, yeah, yeah. So, and it needs to be looked at every three years because things change. Look, look what has changed in your life, Jordan, yeah. in the last three years. You got two, you know, two new additions to your family, yeah. and that just change. And and where, if you do have children, where do you want them to go? And sure, you know, I mean, it's just things like that. Just be aware of. What's going on and, and talking about it? Because you're going to help a lot of people. Yeah, so just kind of sucking it up, taking a deep breath, and having some of those hard conversations and thinking about it now. Hopefully it's not as hard because we can, you know, if we can have that. I think one of the things we, you know, I talked about the other day too is the more we do talk about this, the more we have an opportunity to shape a healthy worldview in ourselves and in our kids and the people around us. Because it matters, right? If we if we talk about that in a, in a, in a way of that, that you know stirs hope well that, that's that's awesome you know but if we talk about it in despair or that we just don't talk about it well that's shaping too and so finding ways to have age appropriate conversations with all Children. of our family but absolutely kids and, and stuff is is important so it's funny because annalise is six and um she was talking to her kiki and she was asking when she's her grandma to be yes, clear yes that's her grandmother Vicky, and she was telling Kiki that she was asking questions of, okay, when does Papa come back? Because she calls him Big Papa, my dad. And when does Big Papa come back from heaven? And so, again, six years old, and Kiki's like, well, you know, and she starts explaining to him, it's explaining to her about it, and she like puts her hands on her hips, and she's like, you mean he's gonna stay there? Does Mimi, my mother, does Mimi know this? <laughs> and it's just like, you yeah. know, but that's yeah. the thing. I mean, you're planting those seeds of a, a clear vision, a clearer vision sure. of how it is. And then we had a horse that died. And, you know, my husband got the whole dig, dug and we all stood around and we kind of did this thing. And, you know, because that's part of it, you know, um, getting your children familiar with it's it's death is going to happen so you trying to protect them on the aspect because you can help them shape like you said shape them into a healthy of how this happens but she was so she was like okay how does that the the big horse get up there and i'm like wait this is way (laughs) above my pay grade so you're gonna have to talk to jordan no (laughs) So, I mean, that's the thing. You kind of have to, and then I'm like, I don't, like, you have to think about these things, you know, to put it in childlike form. So those are, it's interesting. And, like, taking children to funerals. Um, A lot of people are like, no, you know, of course it has to be age appropriate, but it's not a bad thing. Funerals are not bad, you know. You're respecting the ones that have have gone, and it's a good thing. You talk about those good memories of of them here. So, anyway. Well, it's interesting. I've enjoyed this. I, Me too. I really think that that others will, a lot. Be, will be blessed by by you know hopefully hearing this and inspired to read a little bit more. Certainly the Bible, maybe some of these resources we talked about as well, and it, and it really can have just huge implications on on how we live and and you know and can help help uh, help things be a little easier. Maybe you know 
at that time when we do die. You know, we're 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 going we're going to be with Jesus, so absolutely we can make a little investment in just the uh, the well being of our of our family on the other side of that. The more of those decisions we can make for them now, um, you know, that makes it easier for them because it's going to be hard when when we when we die. You know, hopefully people love us, right? Yeah. Hopefully we've got some good relationships, <laughs> and so that's going to be hard. That, but we can make an investment in some of these conversations that will will make it easier. So, yeah, and I just appreciate you giving me the opportunity because I do feel so so strongly about this. And at any time, anyone can contact me. Also, um, at the office and anywhere at church or whatever. I'm I'm I love to. That's your job. Paid. You get to talk Absolutely. about it, right? Absolutely, like, so yeah. I can talk to you and you actually get paid for it, right? Absolutely. That's what I always say. <laughs> I get paid for this? I say the same thing. It's, it's, it's a blessing. All right. Thanks, thanks so much, Jordan. Elise.